0: Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Turn with me to Psalms 27 verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. That rock is the truth about who you are. So we see right here that there's a secret place of truth called the tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, we discover what it means to enter into the secret place. The tabernacle is a picture of the way God is going to work with you on the inside to transform your spirit, soul, and body and bring you into alignment so you look just like him. So everything about the tabernacle, and I'm going to talk about the holy place today and There's so much about it. I'm going to share a little aspect, but it's not everything. It's just a portion. But everything about the tabernacle is about the work of Jesus, his life, his work, but also his work in you to transform you. The Jews referred to this tabernacle as the way, the truth, and the life. So as you walked in through the doors into the outer courts, it was called the way. As you walked into the holy place it was called the truth and as you went into the holy of holies it was called the life and you'll notice that as you look at this picture there is only one way into the tabernacle and the bible tells us that there's only one way to the father and that's through the son Jesus himself said in uh, I was reading in John 14:20, he says I am in the father Listen carefully. I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. You know what that tells me? It tells me that you have no direct access to the Father except through the Son. He says, I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. You cannot go to the Father except through the Son. You have access to the Father only because of the Son. He says, I am the way. There is no other way to the Father except through the Son, not your good works. So the rich young ruler said to Jesus, what good thing do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he said, why do you call me good? There's no one good except the Father. And I thought, that's really confusing because you are good, Jesus. What he was saying, because the rich young ruler was looking from a natural point of view. He saw Jesus as a good man. And he saw himself as a good man, yet he hadn't inherited internal life. For all his goodness, there was still an emptiness on the inside. So Jesus, what he did, he began to quote the commandments. And the the rich young ruler said, "I've, I've kept all those, I've been a good man. So Jesus exposes the rich young ruler at the very point where he knew he hadn't lived up to the bar, which was with his money. But the truth was the rich young ruler hadn't lived up to the standards of God in any of those commands. And I want you to know today that your goodness doesn't get you to heaven. If you're here today and you're a good person, and you think because you come to church, sing a few songs, maybe put a tip into the offering, that you're going to heaven because of that, you are sadly deceived. You need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He alone is the way. And before we start, I felt God tell me to... to to warn people today that your salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. You need to have a living, vital relationship with Him. If you think it's your works, you are deceived. There's a lot of good people that go to hell and a lot of bad people that go to heaven. Because the only thing that God looks at is this are they in Christ Jesus? Have you believed in the Son of God? Have you received the blood that was shed on your behalf for yourself? Have you said yes to Jesus? Is he in your life? So you may be a carnal Christian. You may have things out of control in your life. But have you placed your faith in him? You can be a good person. You can do good deeds, give to the poor. 1 Corinthians 13, I can offer my body up. You can be the greatest man but if you don't know the love of God, if you haven't accepted Jesus, you are on your way to hell. That's the truth. This is what this shows. There's only one way in, there's only one door. Amen? Amen. The four posts, as you approach this, this tabernacle, there, you can see that, or you may be able to see that there's a bright white linen uh, surroundings representing the high standards of God's righteousness. There are, they are so high. And then as you walk through this court, you see the gate. And it has four posts that support the gate. And it represents that this doorway is open to all of the earth. Four represents all of the earth, the four corners of the earth. God is saying it's whosoever will. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, male, female, everyone is welcome into the family. Isn't it amazing? Then as you look at the colors, it's, uh, the colors of that doorway, they are... White, blue, purple, and red. White representing there'll be one as we go through the doorway. One will come who is pure. One who will come who is blue from heaven. One who will come who is purple, who is a king. And he will come red. Who, one who will come from heaven, who is a king, pure, who will shed his blood. That one, when you see that one, he is the way. He is the way into eternal life. Isn't that amazing? The doorposts, they were silver on the top, they were bronze all the way down and a bronze base, representing that there's a price on, on your head of redemption. Everyone who walks in, they need to be aware that redemption has to be paid for you. And then there was bronze all the way down that represented judgment, that there is a judgment on every man that doesn't receive Jesus. But Jesus paid the way. So we walk into this place. So what's that telling us about the secret place? That as we begin to fellowship with the Lord, the first thing it says is that we enter into his gates. with. So we begin to thank the Lord that salvation is for everyone, that you call me, that even though there was judgment on my life, you redeem me. There's redemption over my life. You are the spotless one that came from heaven, the King of kings, and you shed your blood and you made a way for me to come in. Amen. (laughs) That's how we start our day, in the secret place. We enter in with thanksgiving and praise. Then as we walk in, you see the first thing is a brazen altar, five cubits by five, the picture of grace. This is a very, very special place to God. In fact... He uses the word holy, holy, holy over this particular item over and over again, signifying the preciousness of this item to God. So as we walk in, as we begin a fellowship with God, we come to this place. And at that very place, the brazen altar, it's interesting that on the Day of Atonement, they would offer up a lamb, and they would offer the lamb up at 3 p.m. You know the significance of that, because that was the very time that the Lamb of God was offered up. They would offer him up, and that the smell of the Lamb would come up as a a fragrance to the Father, and he would be satisfied with that. So as we come into the secret place, we come with an awareness of the preciousness of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world. So we come in with adoration and praise, not with a bucket list of of wants and desires, and there, there will be a place for that. But let us create uh, as believers, let us develop as we come to, the ch- to church a lifestyle of thanksgiving. We will never tire, nor should we ever tire of saying, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you that I didn't deserve it, but you came. We have no comprehension of what it cost you to come from heaven, to, where you fellowship with the Father. You left that to die the death of a sinner for me. So we say, thank you, Father. Without that gratefulness and thanksgiving, there is no avenue into the secret place. Are you hearing me? So we develop each day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we just say that now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are such a good, good God. Amen. There's the labor. And was a place where after they'd offered up all the sacrifices, the priests would have blood on their hands. And, and because they didn't wear shoes, dirt on their feet, and they would go here and they would wash their hands and their feet in preparation to go to the secret place, the holy place. And so they would, as they washed, they would see a reflection of themselves. A dim reflection It was a place of examination, of awareness, that they truly didn't see themselves the way that God saw them. There was an awareness. And see, that's what's happening right now. We're beginning to discover that there's things about us that aren't in alignment with the way God sees. I could ask you a few questions and very quickly you would see there's things about you that you don't like but yet when God looks at you, he sees you in a totally different way. He sees you prosperous. He sees you bold. He sees you courageous. He sees you as an overcomer. He sees you in so many different ways than you see yourself. And So we look at this brazen old and we begin to wash off all the false identities that we've picked up. And when we look at ourselves and we realize that we see as in a mirror dimly. But we're going, to about, we're going to go to a place where we're going to see him as he is. And when we see him, we shall be like him. Amen. We have left that to some distant day in heaven. And yes, that, there will be a reality of that. But this pattern shows us that we can embrace that reality here on earth, that we see dimly about ourselves. But as we step into the secret place, we see him for all he is and we become like him. Jesus said, I am the way, the entrance into the tabernacle. And it's it really interesting about the tabernacle, just as a side note. If you, for those that like little quirks, if you look at the perimeter of the whole tabernacle and you measure the height of the walls, it is 1,500 cubic meters. Uh, cubic, cubic, sorry. And they tell us from the law of Moses to the death of Jesus is 1,500 years. So everything that's taking place in this tabernacle is going to be about the completion of the law and the coming of the Messiah. So we come into the holy place, it's a place of truth. Everything about this holy place is going to reveal the truth about Jesus and the truth about ourselves. We get born again, we come into the kingdom, and now God says, you know what, that's great, And a lot of Christians stay there. But he says, I want you now, come with me, into the secret, hidden place. Out in the courtyard, it's open for everyone to see. Now I'm calling you into a hidden place. You are hidden with Christ. Your true identity is in him. You can't discover yourself outside the holy place. Without a secret place, you don't know who you are. Let me tell you, if you don't go into the secret place, you will live a lie." And I don't want to get to heaven and discover the self that I was living wasn't truly myself. To you? So he calls us into the holy place. He says, sanctify us by your truth. We are made whole by the truth. We are made whole in this holy place. It's interesting that the lighting in the outer court was all by natural means. It's from the sun. So that tells me that people can be saved, yet the lighting or the revelation or the truth that they walk in, it's all natural. So if you met Christians, that, that their, their, their reference for life is all based on natural perspectives. One plus one equals two. It's all about the world system. They talk like the world, smell like the world, look like the world, but they're born again. So this is because they are relying on the natural point of view, the light of the outer court. So there's little difference between them and everybody else. In fact, if they didn't tell you they were a Christian, you would know it. In the holy place, so in the courtyard there's natural light. In the holy place there's a lampstand that provides the light. It's a secret place. In the holy of holies there's no light because it's the glory of the Lord. So the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a woman that gets a bit of leaven, which is, can be a picture of sin, but it's also a picture of the truth. The leaven of the, of the Pharisees and of Herod. It's about their doctrine, their belief system. So the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that's hidden hidden in three measures of meal, spirit, soul, and body. And it does its work until it transforms the whole life. And that's what's going to happen in a secret place. The holy place represents the soul of man. So in that holy place, there's going to be an amazing transformation that takes place. You notice as they walk in on, on the slide on the left that the colors of the curtain are the same as the color of the curtains walking into the tabernacle. But now we've got five posts. Do you see that? One, two, three, four, five, the picture of grace. And these posts are wood covered with gold and they have gold caps on the top that represent that all that walk through this are now made righteous. Remember before as we walked in there were silver caps saying you need to be redeemed. But as we walk into the holy place there are gold caps saying you are redeemed, you are now righteous. We walk into this place secure as a son. You will need to be secure when you walk into this place because he's going to transform you. He's going to light the fire. He's going to put his finger on areas of your life. And you need to know that all the correction and the changes that he does will be done out of love because you're a son and daughter. Whom, you know, he says, what father doesn't discipline a son? You need to know. See, orphans run out of this place because they're not secure in their sonship. Yeah. Are you hearing me? Yeah. So there's gold on the top of the, of the post. But what's interesting about this post, there's bronze at the bottom. Oh, (laughs) that tells me that even though I'm righteous, there's things in my soul that need to be changed and judged. Now, it's not the judgment of sin, it's the judgment of deception and illusion Mm. as I come into the truth. So, in the as we go into this holy place, it's a wonderful place, and you can picture this in your prayer life. You walk through the (laughs) tabernacle, and God gives us these physical. Pictures so we have something to work with in our minds as we encounter God. It's fabulous. So picture yourself walking through into this place as a priest. Only the priest can go in there. You are a priest. You're a saint. You're righteous. So we have an invitation to walk into this place, a place of grace, a place where I know that I'll be judged, the false self, but as a son. And as I walk in there, it's a picture of the soul. God is about to work on my soul. Thank God for that. Mm. And in that place, there are three items that are attended to, listen, every day. Every day. Did you hear that? Not once a week on Sunday, but every day. The secret place is tended to every day. There is a golden candlestick, altar of incense, and a table of showbread. I started working on this last week, and I thought in my naivety that I could cover the three in one week, and I think I'll just stick to one, which is the table of showbread. I think that'll be challenging enough today. Upon this table of showbread, there were 12 loaves of bread. You may not be able to see them, but there are 12 there. They're made in in a circular pattern. Placed in two piles and on top of each row, as you look, there is a golden dish with frankincense placed on that. And every Sabbath, they would take the new loaves that were baked. They were allowed to bake the loaves on the Sabbath. And they would take fresh loaves and the priest would come and they would take off one pile, six loaves, and they would put on fresh six loaves. Then they would take off the other six loaves, loaves and they would put on another six. So there was always a loaf attached to the, show, to the table. They were always displayed before the Lord. It was very important that there was never any time that you could take off 12 at a time and then put 12 down. There always had to be one there. This table corresponds to your will. So each of these three represents something. The table, showbread, your will... The golden candlestick represents your mind and the altar of incense is your emotions. In Scripture, bread is a symbol of strength. You can see in Psalm 104.14 that bread strengthens a man's heart. And it's our will that is the, the strength of our soul. It's not your emotions or your mind, but it's your will that is the driving force. Our need for significance, love, influence, security, power, riches... All of this in our will, God is saying, I want you to surrender to me. Jesus set the pattern for your will. Now, I want you just to relax now, okay? Don't get your backs up. Let your will be soft and tender now. Because this is a point that really touches the lives of people, okay? I'm going after your will today in Jesus' name. Jesus set the pattern. Hebrews 10:5 sacrifice you didn't desire, a Lord, but you you know you, you know the script, He says I have come, Lord, in the volume of your book, it's written about me. If there's one thing that defines the son, I have come to do the will of the father. Jesus said in John 5:30, I can do nothing of myself. Listen, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I want you to hear something right now. This is really important. You can only judge right or have discernment right when you are not seeking your own will. When you are seeking the Father's will, you will not be deceived. When you seek your will, you will often be deceived. Jesus said, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. As I hear... I judge, and my judgment is righteous. There's so much flesh in the church. Oh, God's told me to, to leave this church and go there, or leave that church and come here. Really? Really? What, because you got offended with somebody? That's not God. You know, and, and, and you can go to every point of church life. There's so much flesh in our will. And so we make judgments and and discernments based on our will when we haven't subjected it to the Father. And deep down we know that. We speak on behalf of God. God's told me there's a cover for our fleshly will. This table that you see was made of wood, but it was covered with gold. I love that because God has promised us That he would take his nature, the nature of the son who says, I delight to do your will. So I'm not reacting because people get in my face, because someone says something nasty to me. But I'm able to bring my will that wants to react and say, I'll hit you, to saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let me step back into that secret place and hear what it is that you're saying about me right now. How much less dissension and and friction in our own personal lives would we have if we learnt to bring our will into submission to the Father? Because you cannot discern unless you come under His will. So He says that He will take His will, His personality, the gold, and He will cover our table. Thank God for that because this is not about will worship, about I will conform my will. You cannot conform your will. It is hopeless. That's what 1,500 years proved. You need his nature. So that in a secret place, I ask the Lord, come, Lord. And this is a daily event because I have a strong, broken will in the natural. Come and invade my will. Make it soft so it will prefer others. It will seek forgiveness. It will usher love. It will... So we're all a work in progress, but it's only in the secret place that his gold covers my wood. It's interesting as you look at this table, because it's a table of communion. We know in 1 Corinthians 10, that tables talk about communion. But as you, as you look at the measurements, the table is two cubics long, and two is the number of communion. Remember Amos 3.3? Two can't walk together unless they be in agreement. It's two cubics long, one cubic wide. Everything that God does is for a reason. One is the picture of unity. So it's a picture of us coming in communion with each other in unity, in laying down our wills to each other, in serving one another, preferring one another. God's at work in this church, building a body that will commune not just with him, but with each other. The test of your communion and unity with God is the test of your communion and unity with each other. How can a man say he loves God when he hates his brother? Okay. You're in deception. There's no community communion true with God if you hate your brother. God's saying, I don't know what God you're serving down there, but I hate me. Because if you truly got in relationship with me, there would be a flow on effect to other people yeah. who are made in my image. The cakes are stacked six high. Six is the number of man. We see so many pictures here. People, man coming into unity. Two too long, one wide. Communion and unity. Men coming together. Six cakes high. Coming together and preferring one another. Beginning to submit to one another. Can you see this? This is all about the submission of your will. The Bible says in Numbers 4, verse 7, that the bread is called continual bread. I want you to notice that this bread was continually before the face of God 24-7. You know where I'm going with this? Your will is being inspected by God every second of the day. Every second. Every second. He's watching every choice you make. He's watching your will. He sees what other people don't see. 12 cakes of equal size, equal quality. They were pedantic that every cake had to look the same. And I want to say this to you today, in love, that every part of your will is of equal value to God. We cannot say to God, well, there's 11 cakes you can have, and this one's mine. It's a bit like a toddler that wants to hide something behind their back, and you know they've got something that belongs to you, but they're in denial. I don't have it. It's 12 of equal size, 24 7. Well, God, I'll surrender you my time, but I won't give you my money. I will give you commitment here, but I won't give you this lust problem. He says, All of your will, 24 7. I want the whole lot. I delight to do your will. 12 cakes. See, what is 12 a number of? 12 is the number of rulership. 12, you know, 12 disciples, 12 apostles, governmental rule. We know it's, it's the sun rules by day and the moon by night. God's saying, I want your uh, will to come under my rule and lordship. I want it. I want every part of it. Well, it sounds like very demanding God. But let me tell you something. Here's how God works. The more you give of him, the more life you receive. It's such a good deal. No one's ever given something to God and been ripped off. He said, this is how it works. Press down, shaking together, and running all over. I then give you my will. I tell you, you keep your will and you die. You give your will and you live. Why was Jesus anointed with the oil of gladness more than anyone? Because he surrendered his will to the Father. You want to have a happy life? Anybody want a happy life? Just a couple. Anyone here like to stay miserable? Surrender your will. Surrender your will. You're not clever enough. You don't have a high enough perspective. You think holding on your offense is going to help you? Surrender your will. Much better better to live with forgiveness than unforgiveness. Surrender, surrender. This is what the holy place is encountering. We feast on him and his will becomes our will. These bread cakes are eaten by the priest. And as they eat that bread, his will becomes their will. We become one with him. Are you hearing this? When was the bread made? On the Sabbath. Are you getting this? Sabbath is a picture of Rest. We rest in him. We feast on him. It's not striving. You can't overcome stuff in your own strength, but you get into the secret place. You say, God, I'm going to eat of you. Let your will just pulsate through me right now. Yeah. Leviticus 24 5. And you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, and on the pure gold table, So on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put some pure frankincense on each row, that, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons. And they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire for a perpetual statute. Just some quick things about this bread for you to take note before we finish. This bread, showbread, is made from grain that is grounded down until it's very fine. It's crushed. It's bruised. Until it's lost its coarseness, it's so fine and pliable. Your will to God is only acceptable when it's crushed and as fine as that flower. Until then, God's got to keep working on you. That's the truth. You know, because He loves you. He loves you. you know, I don't want to hear this. My friend, if you don't hear this, you are stepping out of holy place of truth you are stepping back to the laver and you're looking at yourself and you're not seeing yourself clearly you will remain there deluded and you will go to heaven and you will go through the fire and God will remove the things that he tried to deal with on earth and you will suffer loss what's sort of loss I don't know but you will suffer loss There is a reward for allowing our wills to be pliable on earth. The parables tell us about those that bury their talents and those that work it. And the ones that work it are the ones that are rewarded in eternity. I don't know what all that means, but I know it means something. And I know there is a reward for allowing God to transform us here on earth. So we say, God, it may not be nice, but I want you to to grind my will until it's like that flower. And let me tell you, if there's any resentment now in your heart, I love you, but here's the thing. It's called the spirit of rebellion. It's it's the enemy. He's a murderer. He will kill. At the cross, they swapped Jesus for Barabbas, the son of Abba who made out that he was good, but he had a murderous intent. And my friend, don't listen to the lie of the devil that says that what I am saying to you is harmful or not truthful. This is life to you. He will grind your will, but in the process you will find life. Because it's your will, your unredeemed will that's leading you to death, to make wrong choices to cause you to live a contained life. I trust my Father that in the grinding of my will, life will flow. Amen? I'm not a sadist. I don't want unnecessary pain, but I do want life. As I read this, the grain is ground fine, but then it's molded and conformed to a pattern. I want to say this again in love. There's a lot of free spirits in the church don't want to be conformed to anything. They just want to do what they like. They want to float here and float there. But as I read the Bible, God's into conforming you to the will of, of him and the son. He's about family. He's about, about, he has a pattern and a shape for transforming your life. And if you hate conformity to the ways of God, you can't be transformed. It says don't be conformed to the world. But we are to be conformed to God. Amen? Amen. So, this, so it's like, you don't know, look at this. and there's, can we, we lost that picture. You don't see like one cake this size and one cake that size and one cake sitting over here. In the, oh, i oh just doing my own thing. We've got this uh, little church in the corner, we, me, myself, and I, and we, we watch Joyce Wire on TV, and that's church. And this one over here saying, well, I don't believe in this. No, there's conformity. It's a coming together of the body. So we all look like Jesus, and we are yes. all being transformed. Right. I'm not saying everyone has to go to this church. Hear my heart. It's not about. It's about. It's about this free spirit that says, "I'll do my own thing." Mm. There are times that God moves people here and there, and it's different seasons in a life. But I am against a free spirit that says, "Don't you tell me what to do with my life." Yeah. God sets sets the isolated into families. Yeah. Why? So we can be conformed to the image of the Son. He will conform you or else you will be out of the holy place. So as I enter the secret place, Lord, grind my will, conform it to your will. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, it's got to be baked in the heat of the fire. Baking represents testing. We say, okay, Lord, I want to do your will. And he says, really? Cool. Cool. And so we get a test that week. Somebody comes along, gets in our face. Somebody misunderstands us. Whatever. A host of things. The fire comes to bake, make us worth eating. And all of a sudden we start complaining. We bind the devil. That can't be God. We start getting all angry and cross. We're reacting. But my friend, God is just baking your will. You asked him to conform you. He says, okay. Thank you. Finally. So the fire comes, and he's testing our will. And so we've got to go back into that secret place. (laughs) Oh, I can't cope with this anymore. I want to scream. He says, okay, okay, I understand. Come back, eat of me, let my will be your will. Let me transform you. Let's put some more gold on that wood that's there. Let me make me more like you. You can't change your will unless you're in the secret place. Are you hearing me? Fourth, the bread's going to be ordered. I don't mean like ringing up KFC. I mean, it's going to be in an orderly row, 12 loaves. So the priest say, I don't think that's a good idea, God. I think we should have one row of five and one of seven. Now, God says, no, it matters to me. Everything that I do matters. I have two of six, thank you. So here's the deal, without discipline, you can't be a disciple. The will has to be brought into order. That means my mind and my emotions are able to be brought under the control of my will. Yeah. Jesus in the garden, sweating drops of blood. Ooh, I don't want really to go through this. Well, probably not that, but I don't want to go through this. You wouldn't either if you knew what he was about to go through. He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Let your will supercharge my will and bring my mind, which can picture what's about to happen, and my emotions, let them come under control. If your emotions, and emotions are good, okay? They're not to be suppressed. Like when I say suppressed, they're they're not things that are evil, but they need to come under control of your will. That's why the church sometimes gets a bad name because they say, emotion, emotion. And people walk out the door and they don't have discipline in their will. They can't get up and get a job or you know, go to work or do the things that the will does. Yeah. Disciples have disciplined wills. Right. Yeah. I get up every day and I go into the secret place. And I'm getting better at that. My will's becoming more conformed to the image of the Son. Believers should have the most disciplined wills because our Father is a God of order. Fifth, the bread must be covered with frankincense. This is important. Frankincense. It's a picture of worship and love and devotion. What's he saying? Don't bring me your will without delight. Not, oh, if you have to be the boss, I guess somebody has to be, go on, go on. You can have the keys to the car, but I won't enjoy the ride. It's not like that. It's, I give you my will. It's a joy to give. See, if, if it's not a joy to give God your will, you don't know God. Because yeah. he's such a good God. We just say it this morning. You're a good, good father. Yeah. Till it comes to giving you his will, your will. But no, Franken says to remind them, to fill the bread and remind us, God, you're such a good God. I freely give you my will. Amen. Sixth, as I mentioned before, it's continually displayed before the Lord. See, you will save yourself a lot of trouble. I probably said this before. If you remind yourself, God is watching my will and my decisions every day, He's seeing what's really behind why I choose. I see Christians make such dumb choices. They don't ask people their opinions. In the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. They tell you their choice after they've made it. Yeah, that's right. yeah. What are you telling me for? Yeah. What would you like me to do? Rubber stamp it? I think you're making a wrong choice. But they don't submit to one another. Yeah. What do you think? It's not rocket, scientist, uh, rocket science. I may see something that you don't see. Yeah. Because when we get caught up in emotions, our will cannot so often take a back step and someone else needs to come in with perspective and say, that's not the mind of God for you, my friend. Every day God's looking at the will. Is it subjected to him? And that's our goal. God, every decision I make, is it submitted to you freely? This should not cause bondage. This should cause freedom. And God's a good God. See, he's like I to say, well, all right, you can't have any fun today. You can't play with the kids. In fact, this is the truth. There are times when I'm praying and God says to me, stop praying and go and spend some time with your family. God is so well-rounded. I mean, it's that's, that's silly to say that, but he knows. And so we can, we can allow rubbish to get in, but the true will of God is wonderful. That's why Jesus on the cross, he's not just thinking about the salvation of the world, but about the life of his mother and her security. See, the will of God is amazing. Mm-hmm. He, is, he cares about everything, the social aspect, our fun, our enjoyment, and he will do your life so well. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Lastly, we must rededicate our will to God. The bread had to be put fresh every week. So every week it's like fresh Rededication. Wigglesworth said, every new revelation demands a new dedication. Every new revelation demands a new dedication. Every time God gives you a new truth, a new assignment, new demands, there's a fresh de- rededication. If you haven't rededicated your will, maybe there's not a new assignment coming. God will come and say, I want you to do that. It'll be a step up of of the reality of his lordship in your life. And it's at that place, I remember when God said to us, sell your house. There's a whole picture before us that we could see. I had to make a decision right there of coming and dedicating my will to him. It went against everything that I wanted. Everything. All my dreams... All the pictures of my family, it crushed all of that. So at that place, and you're the same. We say, God, I give you my will. I don't get it, but I know you've spoken. And to not obey would be disobedient. I know it's you. So we dedicate our will. All of these things mean nothing to me over you. You are Lord over everything I own. All my possessions, you are Lord of. I give them to you. If that's what you want, you have them. So he says, great. I'm glad we dealt with that. Then we'll come over here and there'll be another challenge. Another aspect of surrendering our will to him. See that loaves are baked fresh every week. We surrender our will again. And every time we do that, we find more life, more gold in our wood, more transformation, more truth. See, I've discovered things about myself After I surrendered my will that I didn't know before. I'm more authentic today than I was two years ago. And true life and joy comes from authenticity. And in this holy place, we're going to discover the truth about God and about ourselves. That's the table of showbread. We've got two more to go. That's next week. So what I want you to do today... It's not just say, oh, that was nice. I want you, if you would, to surrender your will. To position yourself in the secret place this week and come to the table of showbread, bread of his presence, of his face, and say, Lord, I partake of your will. You're perfect. You're good. Listen, you're good. What's the next one? Easy and perfect will. 30, 60, 100 fold. We get the will right. See, this same pattern's in the candlestick. Boom, boom, boom. As we grow in our ability to surrender our will, we grow the, the garden, the soil of our heart, takes in more revelation, grows more trees, grows more. The kingdom grows. The more we surrender our will, the more fruitfulness. Good? See, so there are good things for you, pleasing and perfect. I want to have the perfect. I want the perfect. I want my will to be surrendered to him. See, so the things that you do that God says, oh, okay, they're not bad, but they're not perfect. I want to surrender it to him. And I'm not there, but I, I want to work on that, feasting on him until his will becomes my will. So wherever you sit today, why don't you do that? Why don't you picture yourself in your secret place? You can create a secret place physically at home, a place that you go to. Sit down and then in your mind you go into that secret place with God. You can picture even going into the holy place and eating of the showbread, eating of his perfect nature, his perfect will. Seeing your will transform so The true you comes. Because when your will is his will, you'll become so much more authentic. You won't make bad choices that are not in line with who you are. Because you are a son and daughter of God. So we eat of your will. And we say, Lord, pour on the frankincense. So we say we delight to do your will. It's an honor. We trust you with all of our lives. We want to do your will. We submit to your will. Break rebellion, mistrust in our lives, and make our will so tender. Not just to you, but to each other. May there be such strength, but yet like such a softness of our will as well. where We won't be walked over by evil, but yet there will be a servant heart for good. Do that in our lives, O God transform our will into the will of Jesus. Why don't you ask him to do that right now? Change my will Lord. Change my will. Change my will. Because you know the thing is if you don't give him your will you give your will to the enemy. Just look up for a second. I'm reminded that the Last Supper, isn't it interesting that Jesus took the bread and he dipped it and he gave it to Judas and Judas ate the bread and when he ate the bread Satan entered into his heart it's the bread of rebellion and you invite the nature of the rebellious one inside you but there's a bread of life which is Jesus that you eat and you take on the bread of the life of submission and love and fruitfulness. You get to choose. I was just blown away when I read that about him, that he would eat the bread of rebellion and become possessed by the enemy, begin to act like the enemy, betray the Lord. Rebellion, the Bible says, is like witchcraft. It's the sin of witchcraft. When we rebel against the Lord and say, you can't tell me what to do. You just open up your heart to the enemy, and he's a murderer. There's nothing about the enemy that's good. He will take you out. So the moment you find rebellion rising up in your heart, beware, because it's an open door for the enemy to come in. We don't want that. So, Father, wherever there's rebellion, wherever we feel resistance and anger and rebellion in our will, we say, Lord, would you please get rid of it?